On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about apostasy. What is that? We're going to talk about apostasy, which is falling away or becoming unfaithful. To be a saved person, but then to so sin as you could be lost. Uh, we want to talk about that. Some people think that that's not possible, that once you're saved, you're always saved. And so we're going to be talking about apostasy. But we're going to come up, we're going to come to this subject, and I think an interesting way from history. All right. Stay tuned. We're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 22nd, 2019. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Good to be with you. Kyle is behind the controls tonight. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Glad that you're here, Kyle. Glad that you're listening. And we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And in the chat room tonight, sign in and chat with other listeners there tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you in the chat room as we engage in a uh, a little bit of a different approach to a subject that we've talked about before. Before we continue, though, we remind you about our bumper stickers. Help us get the word out. Remind- I've got to get some more bumper stickers ordered. I've had some people asking for the oval, small oval-shaped stickers, and we're out of those i got to get some more of those ordered. Yes, you do. Um, and then also you want to check out um, our streaming services at uh, collegeview.com. Check out our podcast if you want to get that sent to your phone automatically. Uh, check out our podcast uh, feed there on our website, collegeview.com. Or just send us an email with a suggestion. We were talking to someone last night about uh, listeners' uh, questions and uh, listener question hour and we need some questions from our listeners uh, to have one of those uh, audience-directed hours. And yeah, so, so send you us your question. question. Maybe you even know the answer to the question, but you think it would be interesting to ha- have discussed on this format. Send us an email with that question or suggestion for a, a topic that you'd like discussed on the virtual Bible study, and we'll be glad to entertain your suggestion. All right. So what are we going to do tonight? We're going to talk about apostasy, the possibility of apostasy. Really what this is, is addressing the the question, is a person once saved, always saved? A number of our friends in the religious world believe that that is the case, that once a person is genuinely saved, they will always be saved. They cannot so sin as to be eternally lost. So this, this position is often referred to as once saved, always saved. But other terminology is that it's also called the the position, the doctrinal position is called impossibility of apostasy. Apostasy means falling away. And and those who hold to this view say it's impossible to fall away. It's the impossibility of apostasy. Right. A lot of times you hear folks talk about the security of the believer. Mm-hmm. So any of those three. Persistence de- of the saint. Or the persistence de- of the saint. De- so any of those uh, designations are, are what we're talking about tonight. And as you mentioned, Jacob, we have talked about this on the virtual Bible study before, but we want to do it in kind of a unique way tonight. 
this week I was digging through some of my old notes, uh, and, I, and I have a, a set of binders wherein I have copies of the the debate preparation notes by an old gospel preacher named W. Curtis Porter. Uh, w. Curtis Porter lived from I think I, I think in the update I said he lived from 1897 to ni- died in 1960. Uh, he conducted more than 75 religious debates, which is really amazing. Uh, so obviously he was having several a year in his adult lifetime. He only lived until he was 63 years old. How many old. debates did you say it was? Seven, over 75. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died when he was 63. Uh, and so obviously he, in, in his adult life, he was having multiple debates every year. These days, whenever a debate is, is proposed and agreed upon, which is seldom, sadly, it doesn't happen very often, but usually the participants want, you know, weeks, often months, to spend in preparation for the debate. W. Curtis Porter was ready to debate on a moment's notice. He had these these notes the, on, on a wide variety of subjects. He had the affirmative arguments that he would want to make on a subject, and then he would have answers to the arguments that his opponents would likely make on the subject. And so, uh, I, actually, I, I was uh, talking to, to our faithful correspondent Kent Bailey on the phone about this and and he he's well aware of the work of W Curtis Porter uh and if if you're listening Kent I got that information on the way to you in the mail today uh uh that's that's private shout out to Kent there but, <laughs> shout out to Kent all <laughs> yeah. right uh but uh uh, uh I thought Man, this is this is neat. Let's let's use one of his topics. This is just one of his topics. He had he had all kinds of topics that he was prepared to debate, but we'll just tackle this question of apostasy and see how W. Curtis Porter would have both made his positive arguments and then been ready to answer uh, the the arguments that he anticipated. He was just anticipating that it, that his debate opponent might make this argument or that, and so he had notes about how he would answer any potential argument that his opponents would make. All right. Uh, so what about this? What are some of the affirmative arguments that you would make to show no, that one can apostatize? And so we cannot possibly cover all of He has, uh, in, in, in this section of his notes, he has 46 affirmative arguments. Here, here's, what, here's the proposition that he would defend. Mm-hmm. He says, the scriptures teach that a regenerated child of God may so sin as to be finally lost in hell. Uh, so that that was the proposition that he was prepared to defend. So he's saying a, a child of God can sin and be lost eternally. He had 46 positive arguments that he would make in regards to that from various scriptures. Uh, so obviously we can't cover all those. We're just going to pick a few. I've highlighted a few. In, in our update today, I sent out the passages that he would use to make his affirmative arguments. Then later in the program, <clears throat> we're going to talk about how he was prepared to answer some of the arguments his opponents would make. In other words, he would anticipate what they, they might say, and he had his arguments ready to answer them. Mm-hmm. He had 95 uh, wow. prepared responses on anticipated arguments. So we'll look at those at the end. So we'll start out with the affirmative ones. And by the way, we sent, we sent out these, these verses, uh, that Porter would use in his affirmatives. 
to our update list earlier today. And if you're on our update list, you got that list of verses. Uh, and and uh, if some have responded. And if you want to respond, you can. Or you can just comment in the chat room as we go along. Uh, uh so we start out with Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Now, you're going to need your Bibles for our virtual Bible study tonight, and we hope that you need them every week. But tonight, we're going to be really scripture-intensive, so we're going to be flipping to these various passages. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 5. I think our listeners recognize this text. This is the so-called list of Christian virtues. Besides all this, add to your give. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patient godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. Notice, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Uh, notice the very important word there is if. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Well, that's a condition that has to be met. You've got to give diligence. You've got to work and grow and add to your faith, virtue, and all those things that are listed in that text. And the implication is obvious that if you don't do these things, then you, your calling and election is not sure. Okay. So we're, we're dealing with this idea that a lot of people in the denominational world today are touting that you can't sin in such a way that you could be lost. You, you got, once you're saved, you're going to go to heaven and your ticket is punched. But now compare that with what you've noted there in second, in first, second Peter chapter one, verse 10. If you do these things, you shall never fail or fall. If you do these things, you'll never fall. Yeah. Why would you, if it's impossible to fall, it doesn't matter if you do Did these or things or not. Yeah. Yeah. So there's Porter's argument. I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's very simple, but yeah. it's hard to get around. Yeah. Kyle, if you wear shoes, you won't float off into space. Right? That would be that'd be stupid for me to say that it doesn't. I mean, you're not gonna no, but you're not floating off to space. Shoes or no shoes? Yeah. If you, if you but but that would be basically the position of the person who believes that you yeah. can't be lost. This this passage would make almost that much sense yeah. to the person who says you can't be lost. Well, why do I have to give diligence? Yeah. And why do I have to add these various character qualities if I can't be lost anyway? What's, what, what, this doesn't mean anything. No, okay, all right. All right, so that's there's what, argument one. That's what Kent said. Kent said uh, the qualifying phrase regarding the promises in this passage denotes that such are conditional. The passage implies that if one, though a Christian, does not remain faithful, they are in a lost condition. There you go. All okay. right. All right, so there's there's case one. Uh, we're just looking at how W. Curtis Portis would argue his case. So we're going to, we're, we're going to, the, he's got, as I said, I think he's got 46 of these arguments. We're not obviously not going to be able to touch on them all, but let's pick another one. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. Philippians chapter 4. Go ahead. Oh, I was just telling everybody where it is. Philippians 4, verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Okay. 
All right. Now, this, this argument, you got to actually blend with another verse. Okay. But notice, here were his uh, uh, faithful helpers. Paul is naming his fa- faithful helpers, his fellow laborers, he said, whose names are in the book of life. So here are faithful Christians. Their names are written in the book of life. Now, over in Revelation chapter 3, in Revelation chapter 3 at verse 5, Paul, or the, uh, the, uh, the Lord was addressing the church at Sardis in Revelation 3 at verse 5. He says, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father, and before his angels. So saved, faithful people have their name written in the book of life. Jesus said, if you continue in faithfulness, if you overcome and continue in faithfulness, you'll be clothed in white raiment and your name will not be blotted out. Again, what's the implication? Well, the implication is that you could have your name blotted out of. And so they needed help. Yeah. Okay. So, so faithful people have their name written in the, in the book of life. But it's possible that you can get your name blotted out of the book of life. And Revelation 20, verse 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right. So you could be in the book of life. You could have your name blotted out of the book of life. And because your name's not there anymore, you'd be cast into the lake of fire. Pretty straightforward. That's three verses you had to use there. Yeah, actually used three, but I mean, it's a pretty simple argument. It is. All right. Uh, Here's what Kent said. Christians have their names recorded in the book of life. However, those who are unfaithful will have their names blotted out, Revelation 3, verse 5, and will be eternally lost in hell, Revelation 20, verse 15. Yeah, exactly right. Well, Kent said exactly what you said. Yeah, so it's, uh, again, I, I, I think the beauty of this is that W. Curtis Porter was not trying to overwhelm people with deep theological arguments. He's just saying, look at the verses. Look what they say yeah. and and get the message. Okay. All right, one more before okay. we go to a break. Okay, this is one we use a lot, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. W. Curtis Porter was using this argument a 100 years ago. Uh, and uh, here we are still making the same arguments today because the, the fact of the matter is it's still there. All right, here we go. All right, so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, one of the big problems that existed in the first century church is that there were Judaizing teachers, we call them, who were trying to go back to the Old Testament law of Moses and pick certain things out of the law of Moses and then try to force or bind them upon Christian converts in the first century, especially Gentile converts. These Judaizing teachers were trying to get, especially trying to insist that Gentile converts to Christ uh, be circumcised. And Paul always fought that. That was not true. And there's much said in his writings and also in the book of Acts, uh, wherein Paul fought that false doctrine tooth and toenail. And, uh, and so he's dealing with that here in Galatians 5. He says in verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, Ye are fallen from grace. Now, if you want to know, if you have any doubt about what that law is, uh, just go to the previous verse. Verse 3, I testify to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. That's the, that's the Old Testament law of Moses. And, he, and, and then he says concerning that, 
If you're trying to be justified, whosoever of you uh, are justified by law, you're fallen from grace. Now, that's not an issue in the church today. I, I don't know anybody who's trying to bind circumcision on converts today. And so that's not a particular issue to us. But the point that we stress from verse 4 is Paul said it was possible to fall from grace. Now, think about that for a minute. You can't fall from something you're not in. I always use the illustration. You can't fall out of a boat that you're not first in. If you're going to fall out of the boat, you've got to be in the boat first. Yep. If you're going to fall out of grace, you've got to be in grace first. So here's people who were in God's grace, and Paul said you could fall from that grace. So that's a descriptive of a person who was saved and then later lost. So, and that's the argument. That's what we're talking about when we talk about apostasy. Ken says, Paul, by divine inspiration, clearly affirms that those who seek to be justified from the, by the law are fallen from grace. And so, yeah, again, they were in grace, but they've fallen from it. And well, how are you going to be saved without God's grace? Yeah. So, again, uh, uh, I think if, if I had to pick one verse to really stress this possibility of apostasy, not the in, we're, we're arguing against the impossibility of apostasy. We're saying there is the distinct possibility of apostasy and if i had to pick one verse uh, galatians 5 verse 4 would be high on my list of the ones i'd 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 hone in on you can fall from grace but think about that if you're going to fall from grace you got to first be in grace so so here are people who were in god's grace and they would fall from it all right we're going to get a break and we'll continue the discussion on the other side i wonder if any english teachers tuned in tonight thinking we were going to talk about the possibility of apostrophes they might have Uh, we're going to get a break and get your thoughts don't go anywhere we'll be back right after this after these important messages we'll be back to take your comments email them during this break are you sure that the bible said something but you just don't know where is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the bible but when asked you couldn't find it do you do things in worship but you couldn't turn to a book chapter and verse to show that god wants you to do it If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible Deficit Disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible Deficit Disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible deficit disorder. Here's some quotes worth pondering. If not you, who? If not now, when? When all is said and done, there's usually a lot more said than done. The only way some people can wind themselves up is by running somebody else down. Benjamin Franklin said, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Shakespeare said, Oftentimes, excusing of a fault doth make a fault worse by the excuse. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about apostasy and the possibility that one could sin or leave the Lord and uh, be lost eternally. In the chat room, uh, guest 3947, reference 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, where Paul says, But I keep my under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. 
And there's one that uh, clearly says that Paul was worried about that. Paul yeah. was worried about apostasy even in his own life, uh. right? Uh, he was he, That was something he was very diligent about to make sure that he remained faithful to the Lord. Why was Paul worried about that? Did Paul not understand what John Calvin thought he understood, that you can't sin in such a way that you could be lost? Uh, yeah. Clearly, John Calvin and Paul didn't see things the same way. And then 80, uh, or 9033 in the chat room referenced uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, set at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you sin so against the brethren and would wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Now, wait a minute. And uh, wherefore, if the, uh, meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I might bring a brother to offend. Now, he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, as I guess 90.33 referenced, that we could, uh, actually verse 11, our weak brother could, could perish. Cause a, cause a weak perish. What does that mean? I mean, oh, he's going to go to heaven. How do you go? To, how do you perish and go to heaven? He's going to perish, but he's not going to be lost. That's what you'd have to. That's what you'd have to say. And it doesn't make any sense at all. all right, good, good verses. Good there from our listeners. Thank good you. Guys. All right, let's go to another one from Curtis Porter. First Corinthians eleven, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. I think a lot of our listeners recognize this because this is a passage we so often read when we're about to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Uh, Paul says in verse 23, I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, uh, obviously, Porter was, was keying in on the idea that you could eat and drink damnation to yourself by not partaking of the Lord's Supper properly. Um, what does that mean? If you could you could drink, eat and drink damnation to yourself. What, what damnation surely means to be lost, right? Uh, a child of God could be lost. If, it, if Otherwise, you've got to say he could eat and drink damnation to himself, and it doesn't matter. That's what uh, Kent says. He says it's impossible to eat and drink condemnation and be in a safe condition. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. You know, I'm starting to uh, see a, a trend here. Is this doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy or once saved, always saved, it's not very hard to refute. It's almost on every page of the New Testament. Yeah, there's just so many. Again, we said W. Curtis Porter had 46 such arguments. Just go into a passage, read it, see what it says, get the clear point. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's what we're doing in our study tonight. We're just going through some some of his arguments, not nearly all of them. The next th- three come from Paul's letters to Timothy, and they all basically make the same point. Uh, 
So let's read. The, the first one we want to read is in 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, verses 18 and 19. 2 Timothy 2, 18, he's, he says in verse 17, their word will eat as doth a canker. He, he, he says, uh, you know, talk about some false teachers. He says, their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Well, now, wait a minute. All right. So they, so here are these two false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and their particular false doctrine was that the resurrection had already occurred, that was passed already. I mean, okay, whatever their doctrine was, we don't have to dive too deep into that other than to note that on the basis of that false doctrine, some had their faith overthrown. Wow. Okay, but, okay. I'm I'm a Calvinist, and I believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe in the security of the believer. I believe once saved, always saved. I believe in the impossibility of apostasy. And so that being the case, I have to take the position that your faith can be overthrown, but you'll still be saved. Does that make you an unbeliever if your faith is overthrown, if you don't have faith anymore? Doesn't that make you an unbeliever? Well, it doesn't make sense, I'll tell you that. That position certainly doesn't make sense. Same argument from 1 Timothy 1, verse 19. Paul says there, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning the faith and have made, excuse me, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. Okay, there, there's, again, another description. You could have shipwrecked faith, yeah. but still be saved, according to this position of once saved, always saved. Your faith could be shipwrecked and still be saved. And then one more along the same line, First Timothy 5, verse 12. Uh, he, Paul was talking about the care of widows, and he said older widows who met certain qualifications could be taken into the permanent charge of the church in verses 9 and 10. But the younger widows, he says in 1 Timothy 5.11, the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith, and with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry. Uh, so... And look at this, verse 15, for some are already turned aside after Satan. Right. So you can cast off your faith, and you can follow Satan, according to John Calvin, and a lot of denominations today, you still be saved. Yeah. Doesn't even make sense, does it? No. Read what, read Kent's notes on those three passages there, Jacob. He says it is impossible for an unbeliever to be saved, John 8, verse 24. Jesus said they have you have unless you believe that he is uh he is you you will die in your sins. Yeah. Uh if a Christian has their faith overthrown they're no longer a believer and thus lost. Yeah. He says when one makes shipwreck of their faith their faith no longer exists and thus they are an unbeliever and therefore in a lost condition. And uh talking about these widows these individuals have cast off the cast yes. off their faith and exist in a state of damnation one cannot be saved in a condition of damnation therefore they are lost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how how you could read that and come to any other conclusion other than that uh, 
seems very clear. Okay. See Kevin in the chat room, and he's in Tampa, Florida tonight. Hey, hello, Kevin. Uh, and he's asking where everybody else is. Tell us where you're at if you're in the if you're in the chat room. Tell us where you're listening from. Again, for those who may have just joined us, uh, what we're doing here is just reviewing some of the arguments that W. Curtis Porter made. Uh, w. Curtis Porter died in 1960, so uh, he died what almost. 60 years ago, not quite, but almost 60 years ago, his arguments are just as valid today as they ever were. All right. uh, and, and they're simple. What, what's so impressive is they're simple, not difficult to understand at all. I mean, just very straightforward. Yeah. All right. Let's get one more. All right. Uh, still in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. All right. In this section, Paul was telling People that they need to take care of their own family members mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that that basically have responsibilities to care. This is the same section we we're just reading, actually, in chapter five, but it's a few verses earlier. That basically you have responsibilities to your family, uh, and so he says, um, if any, verse four, First Timothy five, verse four, if any. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. And then he says in verse 8, if any provide not for his own. And so clearly the provision there is providing the physical necessities. If any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So... Again, it describes someone who didn't, he, 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 he held to the faith, but now he's denied the faith. So he's denied the faith, and he's worse than an infidel. But according to the position of the Calvinist, he's still a saved person and will go to heaven when it's over. Deny the faith. Deny, and that I, would make him that, an unbeliever That's again. the equivalent of saying, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't know who that, uh, that is. Or I do not. I do not believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. But I can still go to heaven. Yeah. Because that's what that says. You denied the faith. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kent says the, a child of God can fail to provide for their own. When they fail in such a manner, they are worse than an infidel. Infidels cannot be eternally saved. Those who are worse than infidels cannot be eternally saved either. Well, that, that seems to make sense, right? Yeah. Kent's applying some logic there tonight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Um, let's get a break, and when we get back, we'll continue. We've got a few more of these uh, arguments that uh, Curtis Porter was making to show that the, the Bible teaches that you can be saved and, and contradiction to what so many denominations are teaching. The Bible is teaching otherwise that it is possible for us to be lost. Now, we don't have any pleasure in, in, that, in saying that, and, uh, and we even, I guess, would, uh, would rather that it wasn't so, but that's what the Scriptures teach. Yeah. It, so, it would be an easy doctrine to believe that once you're saved, you're always saved, but the Bible doesn't sustain it. That's right. All right, we're going to go uh, to, a, to get this week's bullet point, get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We all have some things that we do with great regularity. Certain activities are a part of everyday life. 
things like bathing, dressing, brushing our teeth, etc. Each person will have other unique practices that are incorporated into their normal routine. And while it's possible to get in a rut, some of this regularity is important and helpful in making us more efficient individuals. With that idea in mind, we'd like to suggest some things that ought to become a regular part of every Christian's daily routine. Every day we should pray. Pray daily for your fellow Christians, especially remembering the sick, the bereaved, those who are spiritually weak, those laboring under heavy burdens, and others who have special needs. Don't let these prayers be totally general in nature. Think of specific individuals and mention them by name in your prayers. Give thanks. In the course of your prayers, do not neglect to thank the Heavenly Father for all the wonderful blessings that He gives us. Again, be specific. Taking the time to actually count your blessings every day will help you to gain a greater appreciation for what God has done for you. Especially spend time contemplating the great spiritual blessings that Christians have in Christ Jesus. Study. Find some time each day to spend in the study of God's Word. Get up a few minutes earlier each day. Break away in the middle of the day. Make time in the evening, but by all means, study the Word. This will help you to resist temptation and prepare you to explain your faith to others. Serve. The Christian's life is to be a life of service. Instead of waiting for others to do things for you, look for some opportunity every day to do some deed of kindness for another individual. Your life will be happier if you concentrate less on self and more on others. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Jack. I am 8 years old, and this is Vulture Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program tonight. Reminding this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com. And if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and worship with us. Find out more about our meeting time and place of meeting at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Kevin's in the chat room tonight from Tampa, Florida, as we mentioned earlier. And I think we should start a uh, I think we should start a segment on the virtual Bible study. Where in the world is Kevin Kelly yeah. tonight? It's going to be somewhere different every night. Roll the dice. You never know. Uh, Kevin says the doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy doesn't seem to fit with the needs of saints for edification. How could those that believe this doctrine continue to preach? At some point, preaching should stop once someone believes. You think you would... what I need edified for? I can't fall away anyway. You know, and it's so... like it's like fishing. You know, we're supposed to be fishers of men. When I catch a fish and I put him in the boat, I don't keep putting a worm in front of that guy. You're done I with go, him. Yeah, go on to the next. I, it's, it's, I need to get more fish in the boat. I don't need to worry about these fish that are already in the boat. Yeah. You would think that would be that way with yeah. preaching, right? Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. waste your time? Yeah. I said that before. I said, they could just hand out pamphlets. Why have a church? Just say, hey, you know, just as long as you believe in Christ, that's all you need to know. We don't have to pay for a church building, nothing like that. Just yeah. As long as you're informing people. Okay. I, I know, I know the, the, the response that they would give to that is, well, you do it because you love the Lord. That's the response they're going to give. But they have to admit that it's not necessary yeah. if yeah. they're once saved, always saved. Okay. We're going to have to go real quick here to, to cover both the rest of these. Uh, and again, I've just highlighted some of the affirmative arguments that Debbie Curtis Porter made. Real quick, um, from the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. Jesus, when he was explaining the parable of the sower, spoke of those on the rocky ground. He said, those on the rock, this is Luke eight thirteen. those are the, on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Oh, look at that. They are believers. Jesus said they would believe. They're believers. Well, if you believe in faith-only salvation, that would make them a saved person then, right, Jacob? If they believe, and, of course, a a companion doctrine of once saved, always saved is 
faith only salvation. So according to the word of Jesus, they're believers. Therefore, you would argue they're saved. But in time of temptation, they what? Fall away. Well, the, the, the position of the Calvinist is you can't fall away. Well, Jesus said you could. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Uh, Kent says uh, this group of individuals believe only for a while because they believe only for a while. They fall away, and that is become unbelievers and thus are lost. So thank you for that, Kent. All right, real quick from Hebrews 10. <clears throat> Remember, the whole book of Hebrews was written to Christians, to Jewish Christians, who are on the verge of giving up and going back, leaving leaving Christianity and going back into Judaism. So the whole book of Hebrews is written to show the superiority of Christ, to show that the way of Christ is a far better way than under the Old Testament law of Moses. Um, and he says, uh, beginning verse 25, Hebrews 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Notice, we sin willfully after having received the knowledge of the truth. So what's the, that's where they were. They had received the knowledge of the truth, but now they sin willfully. There's no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. Notice, he was sanctified. He was sanctified by the blood of the covenant. But he's considered that blood an unholy thing and had done despite unto the spirit of grace. Wait a minute. He, he was sanctified by the blood of the covenant, but now he's worthy of a sorer punishment than they received under the law of Moses. What they received under the law of Moses? Well, he said, under the law of Moses... You died at the hand of two or three witnesses. So they stoned they stoned people under the law of Moses. If you had two or three witnesses who would testify against you, you'd be stoned under the law of Moses. We deserve a sore punishment. Well, what would that be? It couldn't be anything. It couldn't be physical death. It'd have to be eternal death, right? Right. Okay. Uh, Kent says uh, these individuals uh, will receive a sore punishment worse than physical death. Such a sore punishment would be the second death in Gehenna hell, the lake of fire, Revelation 20, verse 14 and 21.8. You know, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes these Calvinists will say, you know, if you just if you sin, God will just strike you dead and take you on to heaven. Hmm. Uh, have you ever heard a Calvinist say that? Mm-hmm. God will just strike you dead and take you on to heaven. Well, no, there's a sore punishment than being struck dead. Yeah. And it's not to be taken to heaven. It's to be sent to hell. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah. They were struck dead in Moses' time. What's going to happen to you? It's going to be worse. All right. Uh, real quick. We've got to go quick, Jacob. Second Peter 2. Second Peter 2, verse 20. Oh, boy. This is a favorite here. Yeah. And, again, this would be high on my list. If I had to pick just a handful yeah. of verses to use, this one would be high on my list. Second Peter 2, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Stop right there. What's their condition? They have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you argue that that would certainly describe someone who is saved? Yep. And then he says, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse within the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. 
they're again entangled. They were not, they got disentangled from the world. Now they're entangled again and overcome. And Jesus said their latter end is worse than it was before they even were first informed, before they first knew about Jesus. And I think the easy explanation of that is because now, since they already heard the salvation story, and, 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 but now they've turned their back on it, there's no, new, there's no new news. There's no new information. There's nothing else to draw them back. They've already rejected what would save them. All right. And they're in a worse shape. That's what Kent says. He says those under consideration have escaped the pollutions of the world. They had obeyed the gospel and thus been saved from past sins. Sometime afterward, they had again, uh, they had been entangled again. The end result is that their last state would be worse than their first state. Such necessitates that they returned to a lost condition. Exactly right. Okay, one more. One more. Last one has to do with the case of Simon the sorcerer. Uh, we won't read all of this for sake of time. I think most of our listeners are very familiar with the story of Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter eight. In Acts chapter eight. Simon, verse 13, says, Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So what do you have to do to be saved? I don't care what your position on that is. Simon was a saved man. If you have to just believe to be saved, it says he believed. If you believe as we do, that you must believe and be baptized, he was baptized also. He's a saved man. I don't care how you go about that. You have to you, you you cannot argue anything other than the fact that Simon the sorcerer was a saved man. But he was he, when when the apostles came to Samaria when he saw that they were able to lay hands on people and physically lay, physically lay their hands on them and impart to them the ability to work miracles by the Holy Spirit. He want he offered money to see if he could buy that from the apostles. He wanted to have that power. Uh, Peter said to him in verse 20, Acts 8, thy money perish with thee. Wait a minute. If it, thy money perish with thee, what does it say about him himself? Well, you gotta, he's, he's going to be perish, perish too, right? Well. Thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy weakness. Pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Notice. His heart was not right in the sight of God. He was in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, and he was on the verge of perishing, and yet the Calvinist says he's still a saved man. That doesn't fit. Doesn't work. Doesn't fit. Kent says Simon believed the gospel and had been taught and was baptized like others at Samaria. According to Mark sixteen sixteen. he had been saved from his past sins. However, he desired to purchase the power to impart miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit like the apostles. Peter, by Holy Spirit, Informed Simon that in so desiring he was in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. This was, this is not uh, descriptive words for a saved person. Obviously, he had fallen from the state, a safe state in which he had been and was lost in need of restoration through the fellowship of Christ. And then Dwight in Iowa. Hang on, hang on. He, we're going to get to that on the very when we go to these negative arguments. This is the first one on the negative argument. Which nope, one were you nope, looking nope. at? He's got one. He said, I believe affirmatively that okay, one can good. lose their salvation yeah. according to James five nineteen and 20. My brother, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If one cannot lose his salvation due to sin, then why does James say that the sinner's soul will be saved from death if one turns him back? Good point. We must realize that it, this is spiritual death. James is speaking about in verse 20. 
Yeah. Good Thank point. you, Dwight, for that. Shout out to Dwight. I got to call you, Dwight, here in another day or two and get get get, get right. some personal business taken care of. So I'll be I'll be calling you, Dwight. Hey, all right. And then Kevin says I've seen that some Calvinists try to rationalize their belief in the points of the tulip. Uh, by ignoring, minimizing some of the points. So sometimes our focus is that followers of Calvin first don't know that they are uh, Calvin's doctrine followers, and secondly, don't adhere 100% to all five points. In fairness, we, me included, typically argue that they embrace all five points to the utmost, but we need to be cautious that they probably don't. Yeah, a lot of they, they don't. probably don't, but Kevin, I think that they, most all of them do believe once saved, always saved. They may not believe right. all the five Some points of Calvinism, yeah. but they typically, all all of the Calvinists that I know believe in faith, only salvation typically, and once saved, always saved. Yeah. So that those are the two that they really like to cling to. Yeah, right. After the point of salvation or up yeah. to the point of salvation, then they... Yeah. Yeah. They then are then become yeah. followers yeah. of that doctrine. But yeah, you're right, Kevin. They may not be five point Calvinist, uh, but uh, okay. All right, we, should we get a break and then? We'll yeah, go. let's get our break and then we're going to go real quick and look at some of the how W. Curtis Porter was prepared to answer some arguments that his uh, debate opponents would make. All right, we're going to get it going fast right now. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Wade Shelton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the Church of Christ is all about. But regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that he commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. More than half, 55% of Americans say they pray every day, while 21% say they pray weekly or monthly, and 23% say they seldom or never pray. Even among those who are religiously unaffiliated, 20% say they pray daily. Women, 64%, are more likely than men, 46%, to pray every day. And Americans ages 65 and older are far more likely than adults under 30 to say they pray daily, 65% versus 41%. That information is via the Pew Research Center. The Word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're going back uh, to the top of the hour now on uh, arguments that those who would try to prove that you could never sin so as to be lost would make. All right, so we're talking about W. Curtis Porter, a great debater of a generation ago, and he was prepared with his own affirmative proposition, but he would also sign to deny this proposition he would he would be ready to engage in debate to deny this proposition. The scriptures teach that a regenerated child of God may so sin as to excuse me that's the that's the positive one. Uh, I think he, the scriptures teach that a regenerated child of God may not so sin as to be finally lost in hell. Okay. That's what he would deny uh, because that's what the once saved always saved people say. You can't so sin as to be eternally lost. And so they would make try to make some arguments in answer to that. We're just going to pick out of a few that, that Curtis Porter would anticipate. 
One comes from Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither uh, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, He says, uh, if you could, uh, in other words, the Calvinists would say, if you could fall, then that's not true. You can be separated from the love of God. Porter would respond by saying, God loves all. He loves, he loves the whole world. Uh, John 3, verse 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there will still be those who are cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 21, verse 8. And so he says that it's our job, according as Jude, verse 21 says, to keep yourselves in the love of God. You've got to keep yourself in the love of God. So outside forces can't separate us from the love of God. But we've got to keep ourselves in the love of God. We can separate ourselves. Dwight says, uh, nowhere in these verses does it say we can't separate ourselves from God. Right, right, right. And that is what happens when we sin. We separate ourselves from him. Sin has always been the barrier between man and God. That is why Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. If unforgiven sin will be allowed in heaven, why did we need Jesus to die for us? There will be no sin in heaven. Thank you, Dwight. Thanks, Dwight. And uh, we have Kent. He says, God loves all individuals, even those who have never obeyed the gospel and have never been saved. John three sixteen and 17. This does not mean that they are not in a lost condition, both now and in eternity. Revelation 20, verse 15. The same is the case for those who were once faithful, but have forsaken Christ and are now backslidden. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. So Kent takes a little bit different angle on it. That meaning that uh, being that God loves you doesn't mean that you're saved, right? Uh, he, he says God loves even unbelievers. So that doesn't mean they're in a safe condition. Yeah, and 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 Porter made that point too. God loves everybody. God loves unbelievers. Yeah, uh, and so you can't make God stop loving you, but that doesn't mean you'd be saved eternally if you don't obey the gospel. In the chat room, guest fifty six twenty seven says Simon was saved. Going back to Simon the sorcerer, he was saved because Jesus said in Mark sixteen sixteen, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And this is what Simon did to be saved. He was saved. a saved man, no doubt about it. Absolutely okay. no doubt. Right. Okay. All right. Next that verse. Was our pre- that's what we were talking about just before the break. Um, a next verse that, that Porter would anticipate might be used, the next one that we're going to talk about anyway, John 10, verses 27 and 29. This is a favorite. I, I've got in my files a, an article that Billy Graham wrote on this very text. He says, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. All right. The the problem with, with applying this passage to suggest once saved, always saved is that they're ignoring the conditions stated in the, in the text. Notice my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. As long as we keep hearing the Lord's voice, that is, his his instructions through the inspired word, and as long as we keep following them, then the condition is that no man shall pluck them out of my hand. Uh, No one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. In other words, we're secure. We're in a secure position as long as we keep hearing and following. But what if we don't adhere to those conditions? What if we stop listening to the Lord? What if we stop following him? There's no promise here if we stop hearing and stop following. 
Kent says, while no one can force one out of the hand of God, that does not preclude one from leaving the hand of God out of their own will. Also, in order for one to remain in the hand of God, they must both hear and follow Christ. If they cease to hear and cease to follow, they, by their own choice, leave Christ and are no longer in the hand of God. Thank you, Kent, for that. All right. Quickly, go to John 5, verse 24. John 5, verse 24 Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, uh, notice uh, the, the emphasis for the once saved, always saved people would be on the expression shall not come into condemnation. He believes on the Lord Jesus and he shall not come into condemnation. So he uh, Porter's response to that, I'm just going to read how Porter would respond to that. He said, the Baptist order is this, faith in God, repentance toward God, faith in Christ. So he says, uh, if if saved before repentance, if, if this is true, then you're saved before repentance and before faith in Christ. Believe, in other words, you have to believe on him. That What was the, what, what saved them? He that hears my word. And believes on him that sent me. Not believing on Jesus, but believed on him who sent me. So he has, uh, he has, the, the Calvinist has this person saved before believing in Jesus, uh, is his argument, which he says that, that they don't want that conclusion either. All right. uh, so he, he says if you're gonna, t- if you're gonna use the passage that way, you gotta take the implications of both parts of the passage. Okay. And uh, you pass from death unto life doesn't mean that you can't pass back the other way. Yeah. Uh, and Kent says, first of all, the faithful believer has eternal life in promise. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. No one will receive eternal life as actual possession until our reward in heaven is gained after the judgment. Revelation 2.10. If one departs the faith, they are no longer faithful. If they die in such a condition, they will not be the recipients of eternal life. First Timothy 4, 1 through 3. One cannot have a saving faith who fails to remain in such having departed from it. Okay, I think that's Thank right. Thank you. All right. Uh, how much time we got? Oh, we're going to have to hurry here. Uh, here here's, a, here's a tough passage, I think. 1 John 3, verse 9. 1 John 3, verse 9. 1 John 3, verse 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. All right, so... Obviously, sin is what separates from God. This verse says that the one who is born of God cannot sin. Therefore, so see, the Calvinist would say sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59, 1, 2. But this verse says Christians can't sin. Therefore, Christians can't be separated from God. That's their argument from 1 John 3, verse 9. Okay. Uh, now, uh Part of the answer to this is you got to look at verb tenses, uh, and in in this passage where it says, First John three verse nine, whosoever born of God doth not commit sin. The 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 that is in the uh, uh, the verb tense that would suggest continuous action it's a present tense verb it would be one who continues to uh, the, the one who is born of god does not continue to commit sin he doesn't continue in the act of sin this is not talking about a, this is not saying that the christian can't 
sin, uh, a single acts of sin. Uh, a single act in the Greek would be the aorist tense. Uh, in other words, a one-time act completed, whereas the present tense is an ongoing or continuing action. This is saying that the one who is born of God does not continue to to commit sin. He doesn't continue in his sin. He may okay. sin, but he doesn't continue in his sin okay. because he's born of God. But actually, John himself said just a couple, just on the previous page in my Bible, 1 John 1 verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. So a Christian can sin, but but a child of God, a faithful child of God, doesn't continue in sin, in the act of sin. Uh, so that, that that's how you would answer that. Here's how Ken answers it. This passage does not teach the impossibility of Christians to commit sin. The verb in the New the Greek New Testament is in the present tense advocating the concept of continuing to practice sin. Both the English Standard Version and the New American Standard Bible make this point clear. In light of 1 John 1, verses 6 through 10, and 1 John 2, verses 1 through 4, the Scriptures teach the opposite of the false doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy. As a matter of fact, in view of 1 John 3, verse 7, and the grammatical construction of that verse, one must conclude that it is possible for a New Testament Christian, once saved by the blood of Christ, to so sin as to be eternally lost. All right. Uh, so, again, you, you, you got to dive a little deeper into that text, but clearly it's just saying that a, uh, that a child of God does not continue in the practice of you, sin. You've got three more verses and three more minutes. Okay, real quick. Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Uh, uh, Porter says, if shall be saved means can't be lost, but saved eternally, then then the expression shall be damned means can't be saved, but must be eternally lost. Mm, that's kind of interesting. Same thing Kent said. All right. Kent and Curtis are on the same page tonight. All right. Uh, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Uh, but uh, Porter says, what about the one who does, uh, the one who stops believing? Suppose he stops believing. Everlasting life is a promise, but it's conditional, was Porter's answer to that position. Okay. Uh, uh, right. What do we got here? We got one more. Revelation 3, verse 5. Revelation 3, verse 5. God says he will not blot out the name out of the book of life. But that's a really condition. We read that verse earlier. Revelation 3, verse 5 is very conditional. He that overcometh. The same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father which is in heaven. Uh, so th- that's very conditional to the one who overcomes, which would imply continued faithfulness. It doesn't. It doesn't offer that promise to someone who fails to overcome and who who, who falls in temptation and sin. Okay. Uh, Couple of comments here, and it can't, uh, it can't, it can't, Revelation 3 5. The same passage applies that some names will be blotted out of the book of life, those who do not overcome sin. Missionary Baptist debaters have argued that those who oppose their false doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy believe and teach that after becoming a Christian, one must run, outrun the devil in order to make it to heaven. That is indeed true. What they believe is that one can run with the devil and still go to heaven. And then in the chat room tonight, uh, guest 5627 references Psalm 119.11, Thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
5627 says that is how we cannot sin. And that goes back, uh, I think 5627 is going back to that 1 John 3, verse 9. Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remains in him. What's the seed of God? The word of God. The word of God remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So if we are following the word, you won't sin. Good re- good reference there to Psalm one nineteen eleven, and I like the answer that First John uh, Kevin, Kevin said. I like the answer that First John one seven through eight refutes erroneous teaching that might come from misusing First uh, John three nine. First John three verse nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, so so right, John's not contradicting himself within a few paragraphs yeah. is what we're saying there. A few sentences, yeah. All right, we're out of time. Oh boy, that was that was a, that was a whirlwind. Yeah, and you know we just touched the hem of the garment. Uh, what what did we say? Porter had 46 affirmative arguments. He was prepared to answer, what, 90? How many, what's it say? 95. There? 90. He was prepared to answer 95 false arguments. He was well prepared to defend the truth. You know, uh, Paul said in Philippians 1, he was set for the defense of the gospel. I'd have to argue that W. Curtis Porter was set for the defense of the gospel, too. It's pretty clear from the scriptures that uh, we can sin in such a way to be lost. And uh, if you disagree with uh that conclusion we'd love to hear from you yeah. um and we'd love to discuss it with you further give us an email questions at collegeview.com All right kyle final thoughts from you tonight it's a good study it's great to just revisit the old debates especially just it's it's good it's good learning all right good time uh, good discussion tonight, dad thanks jacob enjoyed it and appreciate uh, you for joining us on the program. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.